Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. I want more to feel free and tell them that we love them. I've looked at clear cuts in burnt forest and I've felt outraged. We are the crowning glory of God's creation, and all of nature was made for us. Nature is more productive because of us, not less. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Here we go. It's the Wretched Radio Mail Call Delivery Bag Q&A Infotainment Nationwide Extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! (laughs) (laughs) Apparently I have a drinking problem. This is Wretched Radio. I've just put a thing to my mouth and made a little bit of a mess. Okay? So you have a hole in your lip. Now I've got a drinking problem, okay. is what I have. Please send stuff. Please. When you run into something wretched, when you read an article, a story, a sermon, whatever, including questions, comments, conundrums, snarks, please send them to the man with the drinking problem, idea at wretched.org. All right. This first question is from Aaron, and it's an interesting question. He says, Todd, lately I've been suffering with false guilt. I know the Bible talks about a weak conscience in which people consider things that aren't sinful as sinful. But when I do things like eating or playing a video game or watching a show that I know aren't inherently sinful as the Lord gives us freedom in Christ, why am I feeling so guilty? The technical answer is I don't know. But that doesn't mean you don't know, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't find out, because that isn't the way the Christian life should be led. Our conscience, it should be sharpened. It needs to be informed And it needs to be on the alert. Why? Because it's our sin detector. So you never want to dampen it. You never want to override it. You want to go figure out why are bells going off? Because as you rightly stated, sometimes because we just don't know some things, our conscience can send a signal that says wrong when it's not. We've got we got this flesh that we're still dealing with. And so there are times, and Paul identifies this, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, he talks about the conscience being this, this, this area that sometimes needs more instruction. And so that's where I'd encourage you to start, to just beef up your understanding of discretionary time doing things unto the Lord, I think you need to do some further digging to determine, uh uh-oh, do I actually have an idol in my heart? Is the reason that I'm feeling this way from doing an activity that isn't sinful per se, is it because I love this activity too much? Is it because I'm spending too much time here and I'm actually sinning because I'm not being diligent to more important assignments and I'm using more than my fair share of free time? Another issue could be, and I've seen this more regularly for some reason as of late, scrupulosity. That's there are just some people. This just might be the way that you were made. Your brain just it just it just tends to really hyper examine things. So you're going to need to start informing your brain, educating your brain and speaking to your brain. You say, wait a second. That would be my brain speaking to my brain. No, actually, it's not. You're not your brain. 
your 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 mind, your your heart, your your you inside of you. It's your soul. It's the essence of what makes you unique. You need for it to be informed about what is right, what is true, and then when you feel things, tell it you're wrong. I have the ability to sit here on this couch and play this video game for this amount of time. I'm doing it under the Lord. Conscience, you're wrong. And then finish your game. And train yourself continually to grab the thoughts that cause you to go, ah, not sure that's right. Figure it out. And the more you get your scrupulosity under control, uh, the fewer misfirings that you're going to have. And just, just as a final note, want to be careful because if you feel like you're sinning and you override it, then you're sinning. But you say, but I'm not actually sinning, but I only feel like I'm sinning. And if I do it, I'm sinning? Yes. So don't override that conscience. But also be careful that if you've recognized in yourself that your conscience tends to be perhaps in hyper mode a lot, that it you need to stop and actually think it through and don't automatically conclude I'm good to go and don't automatically conclude I'm guilty. You have to bring a judge into the courtroom of your conscience. And that, of course, is the Bible. And if you can't do this well by yourself, then you need to find a wise person who can help you do it, who can drop a bucket down into your heart and pull up what's actually going on inside of it. Because the conscience is a crucial aspect of being a Christian. And while there are times it can misfire, even for the most mature believer, increasingly we want it only going off when there's an actual fire. Idea at wretched.org. Our our next question. You, what what happened? Did you just stop doing the program? Yeah. Were you were you taking advantage of some discretionary free time? <laughs> you were sinning. I'm just going to tell your conscience right now. You were sinning. No. Did you, you have anything to add to that for the the individual who he called it false guilt? Uh huh. I, I I you you you've got to spend time addressing it. See it like anything else that's going on. It wouldn't just go, oh, okay, and then move on and let it continue to plague you. You got to go after these things. Right. Idea at wretched.org. All right. So this next question is from Benaya, who says, Todd, what are your thoughts on churches that require anyone who serves, which would include volunteering for cleaning, to be members? Um, uh, I think it's their right to do that. That's what I think. Would I make that a law? No, I don't know that I would. But if a church decides church membership is that important, this is a body. This is a body. Uh, the The reason I wouldn't make it a law, and I, I wouldn't critique or condemn a church that did, the reason I wouldn't do it is because I know that there are people who just, they, they're getting plugged in. They aren't ready to commit yet, but they'd like to do some serving. I I, I personally wouldn't want to keep them from doing that. Having said that, if there's somebody, they've been there now six years, they're not a member. Hey, the issue isn't the rule about whether or not only members can serve. Why are you not a member? That's what needs to be addressed. It should be our desire to become members, serving members of a local church. That should be our desire. And I heard a friend said this the other day and I went, wow, can I ever relate to that? We were talking about churches and church experiences, and he said, I made a decision one day. 
I'm going to be looking for the good at church and and strive to overlook the stuff that gets up my nose. That, that's wow. That could be transformative. That could be life changing for you because our attitude for the church is I want to be a member here. Now, of course, you're checking it out. Yeah, there's a due diligence. I get that. But there should be an expediency. There should be an urgency to becoming a member of a local church. Then you can serve in any capacity you're fit for. Idea at wretched.org. All right. Uh, the next question comes from Jason. Todd, my wife and I recently learned that we are expecting a baby girl. While there are numerous resources addressing raising men into boy or raising boys into men, I find it a bit difficult locating anything hmm. substantial for raising girls into biblical women. There's stuff out there. Yeah. I know there's. I'm thinking probably Martha Peace, Susan Heck, Mary Beaky probably has some stuff. I, I think they're the. Oh, whoa, dude. Jimmy, do you remember we were asked a question a number of weeks ago about, about books for, you know, being men, mm-hmm. be, becoming godly men? And we were like, oh, duh, uh, Bob, uh, whoa, did I get emails? <laughs> There's a lot of those books out there. Just go look for them. And you say, but I still don't know if they're good. Look at the author. Look at the endorsements. What school did they come from? And you will find plenty of resources on how to be a man, how to be a woman. And I'm not supposed to talk about this. So I'm just going to tell you what I'm not supposed to talk about. Then I'm not going to talk about working on a presentation with Paul Washer on adulting. I, I think that there are some helpful tools the Bible contains that will help you do adulting. But I am not supposed to talk about that. I'm only supposed to talk about whatever sent to idea at wretched.org. So as you as you work on this with Oh, the- don't you don't, don't, don't. No, no I'm just, I know what you're doing. What? Everybody sees what you're doing. Nobody sees what you I'm don't doing. think we have enough time for another question. No, but I haven't genuine. You've follow- done this trick on me before. <laughs> no, you're just making that up. <laughs> so no, my question is as you work on this presentation with Paul Washer, how many times have you gotten saved? <laughs> I'll be honest with you, just mentioning his name. I'm born again, 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 because of Paul Washer. He actually has a series on the Internet on biblical manhood. We'll use some of that, most certainly. But I'm thinking more in line of how do I order my thinking in such a way that it happens more naturally and more enjoyably? Because here is the reality about adulting. Um, it's not as fun as being a kid. No responsibilities. Summertime, you just go uh, hang out with your buddies and play or go swimming, whatever it is. When you're an adult, those things start going away. And I can understand why that maybe doesn't sound exciting, but it should. It should. Because it actually is when you understand what you're doing when you're adulting. But I am not going to talk about it. And congratulations, Jimmy, you win. This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa. 
And the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Club's ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. You know, what used to be a movie is now a sad reality. We're living in a world that's gone absolutely bonkers. So much so that six mads just aren't enough to describe it. Social media may be bombarding us left and right. Our Christian worldview may be under assault. But we have the dynamic duo of Todd Friel and Dr. Nathan Buznitz. And they're coming to the rescue with Wretched Worldview 2. Tackling 22 of those pesky, thorny, contemporary issues through a biblical lens, helping us to defend the biblical view on things like sexuality and gender, critical race theory, modesty and apparel, persecution, secular entertainment, environmentalism, 22 issues to be exact. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to wretched.org, grab your copy of Wretched Worldview 2. And hey, while you're there, snag that study guide too, because it's the perfect companion for navigating this mad, 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 mad world with wisdom and grace. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Clement of Rome lived from A.D. 30 to 100, was a student of the Apostle Peter, and served as the Bishop of Rome. He wrote a letter to the troubled church in Corinth, warning against envy and immorality, emphasizing humility and repentance. His letter continued to be read during worship services for 80 years. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Did you hear about the good explosion in Africa? This is Wretched Radio. Can an explosion be good? It is if you're talking about kids hearing the gospel. Something is going on. Tomorrow clubs, they are moving. Well, they're not moving. It's not like they're abandoning Eastern Europe. They're expanding. That's the correct word for you. To Africa. I wish you could go to tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Go see the video. Kids run. They line up for the weekly Bible study, prayers, singing, some treats. It is 
unbelievable the response that the Tomorrow Clubs are receiving. It's such a great ministry. So many wretched people are are partners with the Tomorrow Clubs. Would encourage you to check it out. If you want to see a beautiful explosion, what is going on in Eastern Europe and in Africa, courtesy of the labors of so many people in the Tomorrow Clubs, it's just it's just going to bless your heart. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic Southern way. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. And as long as you're at your computer, you could send questions, comments, conundrums, or snarks to idea at wretched.org. All right. Well, let me see if I can do this. This one is from Ben, not Ben. Ben. Well, good look at you learning. I am. I know. And applying your skills. <laughs> well done. So Ben says that, Todd, we are a family with young children all under the age of seven, and we're currently facing a challenging situation. Our family dog is aging and his health is noticeably declining. Mm. It seems that he may pass soon. Yeah. It's not only a, it will not only be a significant change for our kids, but also their first real exposure to the concept yep. of death. Yep. So how should we counsel our children during this time? Yeah, you know what? You, you nailed it. The death of a pet is another blessing of having a pooch. It is. There's much that can be learned from dogs. Now, obviously, it's not our primary source of education, but this can be your child's first exposure to death. And so use this as an opportunity. Use this to teach, why do they die? You could even start answering the questions, God has this. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's best even for our beloved pooch. God because of the fall, he he gives life, he takes life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Dad, you could actually model a man who expresses emotions. Maybe you're the type of dad who just, for whatever reason, culturally, you'd grew up in that type of household. Expressing emotions is a little bit tricky for you, even when the movie is pretty <laughs> heartfelt. Which means clearly you're not watching the Hallmark Channel because those movies, whatever. But it's some sort of movie that tugs on your heartstrings. Um, Okay, you don't want to become a simpering sissy pants, but expressing emotions. Why not let your kids see that? If you can't do it with a movie, how's about with the death of your dog? If you're sad, let it show. And show them how to grieve with the hope and the knowledge that God does everything right and everything good and that he will comfort us through this. And then don't let the ball drop. Don't, okay, I did that. Now move on. Check in with your kids. See how they're doing with their emotions. It, it's, it, it really is not like the death of a, of a human. As, as hard as the death of a pet is, it's, it, just, it still doesn't compare to the death of a loved one. Nevertheless, it might take them a season to get through it. Keep checking in with them. Model teach them, show them what Christian comfort looks like, that we find our source of comfort in the Lord and not in the eternality of a pet. Tons of opportunities for good. Idea at wretched.org. I would say show them Old Yeller. Show them the movie? Yeah. That's, Remind me of Old Yeller. Old Yeller was the family, the family dog who got um, uh, rabies and had to be put down. And uh, the kids were all upset. The parents were upset. That's a that's a good. I mean, sounds charming. It is. It's a it's really a, delightful. A classic. Oh sure, because it's not a it, because there's not enough to be sad about. I'm going to watch a beloved house pet die of rabies. <laughs> that sounds great, Jimmy. 
Good tip. Good tip. Yeah. All right. This next question comes from Michael. Todd, in what ways were people different in the B.C. era? In which regard? Are we talking about physically, spiritually? Uh, maybe. Um, um, uh, they were shorter. Yeah. That's the, that's the quick answer. As far as spiritually, um, they're, they're no different. The only, the only distinction that I would make between people B.C. is less theological, perhaps, because we know that people before Christ were saved from Christ, believing in him and the promises of him, the better David, the better Moses. He, he's the one that they were looking toward. We look back. So whether you were B.C. or A.D., if you were believing in the promise, you're, you're, you're going to heaven. So there's no distinctive there, except we have more knowledge than they did. We have a much clearer picture of the shadows that found their fulfillment in the substance of Jesus Christ. The mystery has been revealed. So we have oodles of advantages. But as far as knowledge, wisdom, prayer, not I, I can't see anything being different in, 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 in the spiritual regard other than knowledge. Having said that, I would say that there are some mental differences. It is my opinion that we are not evolving, we're devolving, and that people were actually smarter then than they are now. And you say, but we've got cell phones and libraries. That's correct. They didn't have those. But that isn't what makes you smart. That might give you a lot of knowledge. I think that just overall, people were smarter. You take a look. Bridges were being built. Bridges were being built B.C. Pyramids were being erected. These people were not knuckleheads. They were plenty smart. Furthermore, they probably had more time to think than we do. They had to walk to a place. What do you do when you're walking and you don't have a cell phone? You don't have speakers in your car. You don't have traffic zinging in and out all over the place. You're probably thinking more. So my suspicion is they were smarter. They thought more deeply than we did. But We've got more to think about because we have the privilege of living in the New Testament age. Idea at wretched.org. All right. Our next question comes from Anonymous. Todd, I recently came across a perspective by a Christian YouTuber who stated that there are some Christians who are excellent communicators, love Jesus, can present the gospel flawlessly, but they're not necessarily shepherds. I'm curious about your take on that. No, yeah, that's that could be. The gift of a shepherd is a unique gift. This is a, this is an individual that has an actual calling. We're all commanded to share the gospel. The shepherd is called. It's an internal burning in the bosom, not in an LDS kind of way. I got to be a pastor or I die. And he has a particular set of gifts that the Lord has given to him, qualifications that he must meet. And so if you're somebody who can share the gospel beautifully, Rock on. And you may or may not be qualified for being a shepherd, but that shouldn't mean that you feel like you're lesser than. Express your gift and the gift of evangelism, the gift of shepherding. They're just two different gifts. Anything else to that, Jimmy? No, I think that's absolutely right. Idea at wretched.org. And I watched Old Yeller as a kid and turned out okay, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, Jimmy. Yeah. I, <laughs> Yes, you did, Jimmy. You I, turned out so well. You're such a Barnabas. Idea at Ratchet.org, please. 
<laughs> All right, this one is from Kay. Uh, Todd, when it comes to communion, can a church put in place its own policies outside the Bible's directives for who can take it? For instance, would it be acceptable for a church to limit communion only to its members or to members of a related church, or must it be open to members of any Bible-believing yeah, that's, church? Yeah, that's, that's a perennial debate. Different churches are going to have different policies on that, and I'm groovy with any of them. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll tell you the one. I'm just going to tell you my lane when it comes to communion. I like close communion. I'm not a fan of closed communion. Close communion means that members of the church who have examined their hearts rightly, 1 Corinthians 11, before taking communion, and those people with a credible profession, I think it really is best to speak to the pastor, especially if it's a smaller church. Hey, this is who I am. Would you like to know about my I'm going to be taking communion today because I actually showed up early for church and know that there is communion. So would you like to hear my testimony so that you feel safe in administering it to me? That's close communion. Closed communion is only members of this church or members of this denomination. And while I do appreciate the desire to protect the sheep and to protect communion and what it is, uh, I, I think it sends a, first of all, I, I don't think that it's biblical that way. Second of all, I, I think it, it paints the church as being very small because communion is a celebratory meal amongst believers. And I think closed communion says we're the only ones. Nobody else can take this. Now, granted, I'm, I granted, they can have other motivations for that. It's probably for the protection of the table. I appreciate that. Remember John Calvin, when those licentious people wanted to come in and take communion and he fell on the table and said, over my dead body, I'm paraphrasing for you. So there is a desire for that. I think we should all have a high regard for that. But... Um, want to be careful we don't make a law where there is no law, but I certainly wouldn't condemn a church for having a different take on it than I do. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. As we talked about earlier this week, the Supreme Court of the United States had several rulings they were set to make and they have handed those down, starting with ruling against the affirmative action policies of Harvard University and the University of North Carolina, which will have a profound effect on the admission processes at universities across the country. The court stated that the race-based admissions programs at Harvard violated Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, and the University of North Carolina violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. A group called the Students for Fair Admission sued the elite schools, accusing them of unfairly factoring race into their admission processes. And SCOTUS wasn't done there. And a stinging defeat, yeah, it had to be a stinging defeat for the Biden administration. SCOTUS ruled that the COVID-era HEROES Act didn't give the White House authority to unilaterally forgive federally subsidized student loans. Turns out that the federal government can't just wipe away all the student loan debt out there and like they're waving a magic wand over it or something. No, you take out a loan and you pay it back. And Skoda said that the Biden administration could not make a wholesale decision about this without the approval of Congress. 
And in a landmark victory for free speech, SCOTUS also struck down the Colorado law that would have punished a Christian graphic designer who declined to design a website for a same-sex wedding because it violated her religious beliefs. That's a huge decision that will have lasting impact not only for the Christian community, but for the First Amendment. And that's not all. The Supreme Court also ruled in favor of a Christian postal worker who lost his job for refusing to work on Sundays. The court's opinion, authored by Justice Samuel Alito, overruled the decision of the Third Circuit Court of Appeals and strengthened religious liberty in the workplace. The case involved an evangelical Christian who had never worked on Sundays due to his religious beliefs. However, the U.S. Postal Service started to deliver packages on Sunday, and the gentleman was required to work on Sunday. He requested not to, requested to be transferred to a different location to avoid conflict, but claimed that the Postal Service disciplined him for refusing to work on Sundays. The Third Circuit rejected his claim, but the Supreme Court's decision now sets a higher standard for employers to deny religious accommodations. The ruling will provide more protection for religious employees in the workplace and hopefully encourage employers to be respectful of their beliefs, even if it is a Christian. And that's been your Wretched News Break for today. A good day with good rulings coming from SCOTUS. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 732 AD. At the Battle of Tours, Charles Martel turns back the Muslim invasion of Europe. As Islam decimated the church in North Africa and the Middle East, Europe became the new center of Christianity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. You ready in there? Yes, sir. <laughs> we'll see. This is Wretched Radio. You've had such a light week. I, I know it. I, I don't know why you're feeling the pressure to have a bunch of questions ready. Sent to <laughs> ideawretched.org. What exactly have you been doing in there, man? Do you want a detailed list? I've already heard it. It has been <laughs> quite a week for you, hasn't it? It has. You're working. You're working. The Transform Podcast with Greg Gifford. It is so good. But it's um, Conflict Resolution right, is yes. the new series. Uh-huh. How many parts in that bad boy? Five. Oh, uh-huh. so, so good. I personally don't, don't need Conflict Resolution because I never have issues with anybody in my own mind. But should you need those skills, I'm telling you that Transform podcast, baby, it is so good. We're actually looking to get it sent out to Christian radio stations for them to air it to syndicate it because it is so biblical. It is so helpful. Okay. Speaking of Greg Gifford, he and I were having a conversation. Was it last week? The week before? Yes, last week. You're kidding me. Mm -hmm. You've been so busy. It feels like an age ago. We were talking about biblical counseling and he was identifying a potential ditch for biblical counseling that we stop teaching and just apply. That we that we overlook the theology and just get to the principles and application, and that's always a danger. The, the da- by the way, that danger that is a two way street. It's nothing but theology, no application. We got to make sure you've got to have a foundation. It's got to be biblical. It's got to be grounded in something other than opinion or a life hack website. But 
once we've established that theology, there should be application. And I think I think Dr. Gifford just nails, crushes it. So good. And you've prepared how many how many of those episodes for radio? Twenty uh, some? Twenty-five. That's all you've done this Th- week? That's it. Besides the regular stuff that you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Please go light on Jimmy. He's had a hard week. Look what I did there. Uh, I just turned a compliment and turned it into a snark. Not many people have that gift to that degree. Please send whatever to idea at wretched.org. And you wonder why you get emails telling you to give me a raise. <laughs> you, no, I know you put in a week. I know that you have. Yeah, and we've got Wretched Minutes. Yes. That, that needs some. There was something else that you were doing, though, too. I can't remember. There was another project. I know you were working on it, mm-hmm. but. Good, good week, Jimmy. Thank you. Way, way to go. <laughs> Radio is my life, Todd. All right, let's uh, get to the questions from Anonymous. Todd, a young person I know doesn't want to get married due to a history of childhood sexual abuse, and it's led to a strong aversion to intimacy. Yeah. They've expressed a desire to remain single to avoid this type of connection. Could you provide some insight on whether this is a valid reason to remain single and any advice for addressing us? Well, that two-parter, but let me address a specific question. Is that a valid excuse? I would say it is a valid reason to be afraid. That's what I would say. Childhood trauma, especially sexual abuse. I mean, wow, okay, uh, spiritual is, but being physically violated by a big person? Whoa, you've heard of PTSD. Well, there is a youth version of that. When a child gets scarred, they get wounded. And there is a genuine aversion to intimacy because a big person, maybe somebody in their family that they loved and respected did that. I will never put myself in a vulnerable situation again. I will never find myself in a position of loving somebody and then being so scalded by them again. So I'm just going to avoid it. I think that that is valid and that is normal. Having said that, that doesn't mean we just leave that person there. This is a person who has been wounded. I got to tell I just met a young man just chatting. I mean, I, I, I've seen him before, but actually engaged with him and was just asking him questions about his life. And he said, well, it's going to be a big Saturday night. I've got a date. And my response, here's something interesting. My response was, dude, way to go. Congratulations. Tell me about it. And he goes, I'm really, I'm really scared. And I heard the word scared, and it's not the first time I've heard it from somebody who's a Gen Zer. Gen Z's regularly say that. Now, for whatever reason, but I I think that it's not just this young man. I think it's more of a general malady. But for this young fellow, I said, tell me, why does it scare you? And he said, because I'm I'm afraid of, of intimacy with another person. How come? I was abused as a child, abandoned as a child, found myself homeless. And my response was, I understand totally. I get it completely. I mean, as much as I can empathize, I get that. 
because the individual, the child who has been abused by an adult is now afraid of adults. Even as an adult, they're afraid of adults because they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they can experience such wicked pain. It is so understandable. So with this friend of yours, be sympathetic, be empathetic, be understanding, be exceedingly patient, and then try to encourage them and give them the hope that they can be made whole in this area and they can experience these joys. It's not going to be a quick fix. It is going to be something that takes patience. It might take biblical counseling, but there is hope for that person. Just don't, don't, I, I think just understanding it is the way to start with the, this type of person. They have been wounded, and those deep wounds don't heal quickly. Give them hope. There are resources on this subject. Uh, Greg Gifford wrote a book on PTSD. There are, there are biblical counseling books on intimacy, how to be vulnerable with other people, and maybe just maybe a biblical counselor, which could be found at biblicalcounseling.com. Hard to imagine much worse than sexual abuse for a child. Hey, Jimmy. Yes? I learned something from the young man that I was talking to about his date. Uh, how would you learn? Well, he said something that kind of just kept echoing in my brain because I didn't think that I said anything like spectacular. I mean, I was all enthusiastic. I was like, dude, you got a date. Cool. That's great. Have a great time. This should, be a, this should be a real gas. Where are you going? And when it was done, he said, boy, I'm really glad I bumped into you. This was really encouraging. And I thought, really? What did I don't, what did I say that was encouraging? It must have been that I was like, hey, just you've, you've done something. Applause from somebody who's older than you. And then I thought, hey, wait a second. Do I do that with my own children? And the answer is I'm far less inclined to respond the same way I do with somebody who is basically a stranger. And, I th and I've been noodling that because I think there's lessons to be learned for both parents and the children of parents who maybe aren't as enthusiastic in their response to your decisions as you would like them to be. Here's why I could be enthusiastic for this young man because while I cared for him, my, I don't have an investment in him. I haven't spent decades trying to help him, raise him, nurture him, uh, educate him, nothing. So it's like, dude, way to go. Now, if my child who was single came to me and said, hey, dad, I got a date, my response would be so radically different. You've got a date with whom? Where did you meet this person? Do they adhere to the London Baptist Confession of 1689? Where are you going to get the money from this? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the difference? And the difference is the relationship. And I couldn't help but think, Mom and Dad, there might be a lesson for us to learn. Would it be so awful if your child came to you and said, I've got a date that you go, really? Cool. I mean, they're happy about it. It's something clearly they desire. How's about first just being encouraging to them? Then the interrogation can begin. Lovingly, of course. Maybe we could learn to, to perhaps be a little bit more positive in response to what our children bring us. I didn't say never ask questions. I'm just saying 
maybe we could be a blessing to them more and they might actually respond better to our curiosities about their decision-making process. On the other hand, if you're young and you've got parents who don't respond enthusiastically, you need to know why. They have a unique relationship with you. There is nobody on the planet who cares more for you than those two people do. And even when they respond to your proclamation that you're going out on a date Saturday night and it's crummy and it feels like you are just being waterboarded to get information out before they'll approve of you doing this thing, receive it as the blessing that it is. Your journey has just begun into the realm of adulting. I'm not trying to be snarky, but you haven't been around the block yet. You just haven't. And that's no fault of yours. You you can't because you you haven't done a bunch of stuff. Most likely buying a car, buying a house, being in a, a workplace for five years, having children. They have. And even when they don't deliver it as well or as encouragingly as you would prefer, know that maybe they're working on it and we will but receive it as the blessing that it is. Don't grow bitter. Don't ghost them. Appreciate them, even when the package ain't quite as delightful as you'd like it to be. This is Wretched Radio. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are so grateful for your ongoing support. Whether you're giving to us monthly, ongoing as a gospel partner, or if you're purchasing resources from the Wretched store, everything you do helps us to reach the world with the gospel. And honestly, we need you because we can't do any of this without you. We are looking for partners who share the same passion we have in spreading the gospel to people everywhere. And understand, we're not only asking for your financial support, we're asking for your prayerful support as well. Your faithful and consistent support is what helps us to reach millions all over the world with a life-saving knowledge of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just visit wretched.org slash donate. You can get all of the answers to all of the questions that you have right now on what it might look like in your life to do so. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel.
Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles. And the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines. But they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Books of the Bible The Book of Proverbs is a collection of memorable sayings meant to encourage wisdom for godly living. Each proverb is to be understood on its own, and then in light of the rest of the book, and finally the whole Bible. When you desire wisdom, look to the Book of Proverbs, which reminds us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's hope Jimmy calls. This is Wretched Radio. That is the toll-free number, 1-877-282-BEEP. Go ahead, caller. You wanted to share something about your children? <laughs> yeah, no, I said that... Uh... The, I uttered the phrase last night, uh-huh. you'll understand one day when you have children. Yeah. To uh, to my middle child. Okay. That is a truism. Mm-hmm. The question is, how did you deliver that nugget of wisdom? Just like that. Just like that. Um, I, 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 mm, come on, which way? Okay, let me, I'll, I'll do kind of an extreme. Okay. Was it? Someday when you have kids, you're going to understand. Was it that style or was it like... <sighs> Someday when you have kids, believe me, you're going to understand. Yeah, which, I, which way was it? I think it was the second. I'd like to think it was the second. <laughs> what is that padding sound that I hear? Oh, that's you in your back. Go ahead. Okay, so you shared that with your son. And how did that, how did that get received? No, he just walked off. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you want, if you want to be metaphorically like King Saul, shoulders above everybody. You want to stand out? I'm telling you, when your parents say something, consider it. Just consider it. And believe me, I do get it. We have a propensity to not be as encouraging as you might like. I I do get that. And look, if we're sinning in that way, please forgive us for that. But just know they got some stuff up there. They they've got they have hard won knowledge. They have wisdom. And if you want to be head and shoulders above your peers, you got it right inside of your own home. The knowledge and the wisdom and the experience that you need to excel. Don't overlook it. And please call one 282 beep one 282 Hey, Todd, last week or so, you mentioned something about the sacrament. 
and how we don't do that and what it's for and all that kind of stuff. And I have had several conversations recently with people and I'm like racking my brain going, what in the world are those things really about? And why don't we do them? And why do Protestants even call them the sacrament? Can you help me out with that? Why do Protestants? I'm going to trust your Protestant. We use the word sacraments. There's a little bit of a quibble out there that whether the better word is sacraments is sacrament or ordinance. I think the better word probably is ordinance. It's something that the Lord has regulated. It's something that he has commanded as opposed to it having some sort of sacrificial element to it as if it is efficacious beyond the symbolism. And I know all my Presbyterian friends, and if you're Lutheran or Roman Catholic, you're going, yeah, that's that's it. It's, it's just symbolism. In fact, I saw a YouTube video the other day, and I thought, I don't think the guy was being snarky, but I don't think it was fair. He said, he was talking about those people like myself that would say that baptism, for instance, is just a symbol. Okay, now that can be said one of two ways. That it is, that the the force of it is that it is symbolic, and by looking at it, viewing it, we are encouraged when we see it. But there's another way to say it. It's It's just a symbol. Well, hold on, that's pretty diminutive. It is a, it's a powerful symbol, and it's a meal for us to consume. Why? Because we're seeing the gospel. We are seeing God's work in the life of another person. We are seeing a recreation of an individual who died to self, was brought to new life in Christ. We're seeing a reminder that Jesus was put in the ground and raised up. So it, it's not just symbolism. It's powerful. And why do we do it? Because we've been commanded to do it. We go and make disciples baptizing. So we do. Take the Lord's Supper when you get together. That's why I'm of the opinion, I know, it protracts the church service, but it's not just a little food to put into your stomach before you get to Cracker Barrel to tide you over. You're getting fed spiritually. We go we go to church to get fed. We do other things, but we go to church to get fed. And when we don't participate in the joyful meal, the symbolic meal of the death of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper, in the bread, and in the wine, oh, we're just, it's like, well, there, there's, there's like a whole serving of good sustenance there. Why aren't we taking? We could take that every, we could eat that every week. Uh, I, I think personally, we are commanded to do the Lord's table Weekly. Somebody disagrees with that. They're certainly not heretics. I hope they don't have that opinion of me. We do the ordinances because of the power and that they are a meal for us to consume and simply because we've been commanded to. Now, if you want to do a study, just go Googling. What is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? And you're going to, you can read, uh, you can, you can read the symbolic understanding of the Zwinglian version of it. You can read the Luther understanding of in, with, and under. You've got the Catholic version of it, which is transubstantiation. Now you can read about it and study it with the exception of the transubstantiation business, because that would be a resacrificing of Jesus Christ and a diminishing of the redemptive work he fully accomplished. Uh, we, we can have differences of opinion on it. It's just that well, my opinion is completely right. <clears throat> Hi, Todd and Jimmy. Um, I just listened to 
a question that somebody called in last week about saying, oh, my word. Right. Um, and how that could be taking the Lord's name in vain. And I'm so thankful for your answer. It was convicting. And I need to not say that anymore. Um, but I'm wondering also what you think about somebody saying hallelujah when they're not necessarily meaning praise yeah. the Lord because right. Yah is part of God's name. Yep, that's so, right. Just wondering your thoughts if that falls into the same category. It, it can't. It, it it absolutely can. I know a guy. Um, he's uh, what? Uh, I don't see him regularly. Um, I I think it might be Hallelujah. He just throw, and he's not a believer. <laughs> it's just a word that he uses to express some sort of joy. I would say that we actually can use it as an expression of joy and thanks. We can mean it. Even when not in a religious setting, if you will, some you 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 get the news, the information. Hallelujah, Lord, thank you. It can either be sincere or it can be blasphemous. It's a heart issue. Would I get tied up in knots over the discernment of that? No, I, I don't think that I would get paralyzed by it. But I do think it's always worth our time to go, okay, my expression, what I'm saying if I'm dealing with the name of the Lord, I want to be careful with it. Jimmy, I think after that program, you and I talked about more minced oaths uh-huh. and that you will struggle to find words that you can't find some sort of theological connection to. Correct. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's one I say a lot. Oh, okay. And are you meaning it as a minced? No, 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 no. Of course, you're, of course you're not. It's just the vernacular. But mm. if we stop and say, okay, what are we doing here? People changed the word instead of saying God. Well, we don't want to do that because that would be blasphemy. Uh, throw throw another O in there. Oh, good. Okay. But you, you unpack all of these. You'll be surprised at, at how many C-sounding words that we use that are actually in reference to the name of our Savior. We just we just want to be mindful of it because His name is holy, and we don't want to drag it through the mud in any way at all. Hey, Mr. Monsieur Senior Hair Frielson, mm-hmm. I've got a snark or maybe better yet a pet peeve. Nathan, Edward G. Robinson's character in the Ten Commandments <laughs> never says, I know. Where's your Moses now, see? <laughs> I know that, but Rob Schneider did on Saturday Night Live. That's like people saying that Humphrey Bogart said, play it again, Sam, in Casablanca, where that Cary Grant was always spouting off with Judy, Judy, Judy. Never happened. And while we're at it, stop picking on Edward G. Robinson. He, along with Yul Brynner and Vincent Price, turns in one of the three decent performances in that movie, the best bad movie ever made. <laughs> you want to pick on somebody, pick on Ann Baxter, the red-headed vamp who played Nefertiri. She was awful. But my impression of her is spot on. <laughs> no, wait, <clears throat> I got it. You know how your voice gets into like a gear? I got to drop it down for... <clears throat> Moses, Moses, Moses. And she was she was trying to be flirtatious. That was <laughs> it wasn't her best moment. Let's just be charitable in that. You're right. Edward G. Robinson didn't say, Where's your Moses now? See? 
That was Rob Schneider, who apparently is getting increasingly conservative. Not safe, but at least he's conservative as a comedian. Boy, I worked with him 30. Oh, man. You so, did? Oh, yeah. We, yeah. Uh, we did a week in Minneapolis and we spent a lot of time together. And all we talked about at the time were our fiancés. We were both engaged at the time and we were like Dreamsville, man. We were, oh, this, oh, and 32 years later, I can continue to thank the Lord for that gift of that fiancé. I think Rob got married and divorced within a year. Where's, where's your wife now, see? <laughs> Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>